Well, as we start, get started this morning, I'm going to uh, ask a question that I want you to answer to yourself to the best of your ability. And that, answer, that question is, what exactly is a human? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? Because where, where do you put uh, the answer onto that? I asked Google the other day what a human was, and it defined it this way. Google said that a human is relating to or char- characteristic of human beings. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That's a circular argument, right? Because, like, how do you define a human? Well, a human is someone that's like a human being. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, there was a, another uh, definition that said that it's differentiated from animal species, but if that were uh, the full truth, just because something is alive and not an animal, does that make it a, a human? Do, is a plant human? Is a, uh, a pine tree human then? What about a flower? Well, of course, that's absolutely ridiculous to think about that. How do we then define it? Over the past number of weeks, I've really spent a lot of time thinking about that question. And the deeper that I have delved into the idea, the more and more I have come back to the definition that a human being is nothing other than a creature that is made in the image of its creator. The human being is the only Uh, being in the entire universe that is made in the image of God. Let's remind ourselves of what what Genesis says in Genesis chapter 1 and verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what does that look, what does that mean? In the next four weeks, I'm, I'm hoping to unpack just a little bit of what it means to be truly human. And we're going to find that even though we are still created in the image of God, uh, we often have an image that is very dull and it is very dim because our sin has marred that image that we were created in. And hence, many of us are living subhumanly. And we'll find that only when we look to Christ as the one who is truly human and also truly God, uh, in faith that we will begin to be restored into what we were created to be, image bearers of our God and our King. And so we're going to introduce this uh, today by unpacking what it means to be made as human creatures. There are two things that I want to focus on. Uh, there were a whole lot more that, uh, that I wanted to, but uh, I only have so much vocal strength with, uh, with the injury. So if we want to live uh, and know what it means to be truly human, the first thing that we have to do is acknowledge our dependence. Acknowledge our dependence. There was a morning that started just like every other morning for me. I came downstairs, I grabbed the coffee beans that I wanted, I reach for the coffee grinder, I put the coffee beans in the grinder, I push the button, and nothing. It's not grinding my beans. This is not the way that I want to start a morning. Like, this is, this is the level one emergency if my coffee grinder is not working. And so I tried it again, I push the button, and absolutely nothing. I'm trying to figure this out, and, and I realize I never plugged the thing in. That was the problem. 
left to itself, my coffee grinder is useless and unable to fulfill its purpose. It is completely dependent uh, on the alternating current that is in the wall socket. And many of us are missing out on what it means to be human because we don't realize that part of what it means to be fully human is to acknowledge and accept that you are not an independent being, that you have to be plugged in to the source, your, your creator, God himself. You are not autonomous. You are not self-sufficient. I am not self-sufficient, but rather you and I are solely dependent on our creator from everything from the food that was on our table for breakfast this morning to the clothes that you are wearing right now, even to the very breath that you just took. And without acknowledging and accepting that we are dependent on him, we simply cannot live our true purpose for what it means to be a person. We're pushing the grinder button and nothing is happening. We are living subhumanly. And to get a full picture of our complete dependence on God, uh, we first have to gaze our eyes upon our great God, our creator, who in this regard is absolutely nothing like us. The Bible affirms that unlike us, God is in need of absolutely nothing. He is self-sufficient completely in and of himself. There's nothing that, can, that we can add to God. There's nothing that we can take away from him. He is completely self-sufficient and complete in himself. I have often heard that the purpose that God created humanity was because he was lonely up in heaven and he had to create humans in order to uh, fulfill this void that he had in his own uh, heart and his own life. But when we consult scripture, we find that that is nothing but an affront to God and dare I even say it's absolutely blasphemous. God has always been from eternity past before anything was created. Our Trinitarian God was in perfect completion in fellowship with himself. And Jesus acknowledges this in John chapter 17 when he is praying to God in, in, in the garden when he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given to me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So there's this relationship that God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit had together from eternity past that made them completely perfect in themselves. And since God is complete in and of himself, there's nothing that he needs. He doesn't need stuff. Look what Psalm uh, 50 verses uh, 11 through 12 says. God says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds in the hills. All that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness thereof is mine. You might own your house, you don't own your house. God does. Everything in this universe that you see is branded with God saying, this is mine. He doesn't need information. Look at Romans chapter 11, verses 35 and 36. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who's been a, a counselor to him, or who has given him a gift that he might be repaid? 
Do you think that you can counsel God with any bit of information that you might have that he doesn't have? It's not possible. He's omniscient. He knows, he knows everything. He doesn't even need us. Look in Acts chapter 17 when Paul is at Mars Hill and he says to the Athenians, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So from eternity past to eternity future, God is totally self-sufficient in and of himself because he is the creator. He can't be dependent on anything that he has created. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things that, uh, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom uh, all things, and uh, through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. And we, when we look at the fact that God in and of himself is absolutely perfect and self-sufficient in all of his needs, squarely within himself, it's humbling. It doesn't mean that we don't matter. It doesn't mean that we don't have a purpose. We, we, we do. We just don't add anything to the puzzle or, or, or the, um, uh, we don't add anything to who God is in order to complete him. God simply isn't dependent on anything for him to be God. And it should lead us to praise along with the, el the 24 elders that are in front of the throne in, in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, when they said, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will, they existed and were created. So with that in mind now, if we were, uh, um, if we're able to see that we are totally insufficient and God is all sufficient, it is completely arrogant to live as if we are independent of ourselves. To take the posture that we are self-sufficient is doing nothing other than to agree with the serpent in the garden when he said to Eve, you will be like God. We are completely, 100% dependent on God. We're dependent on him physically. Again, in the great discourse on Mars Hill on Acts 17, Paul tells the Athenians that in God alone we live and move and have our being. Nehemiah praises God for the fact that the reason that the earth right now still is spinning is because of God's grace and provision. He said, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made the heaven, the heaven of heavens, all with their hosts, the earth and all that's in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. In Colossians, Paul puts it this way, in him all things hold together. Now, if Christ were at some point were to take his hand off of his mighty sustaining abilities, we would all be undone. 
There's not a breath that you take that is independent from the will of God. Job teaches us in Job chapter 12, he says, in, the, uh, in his hand is the life and breath of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. By his will and his will alone, not a hair from your head will fall to the ground. First Samuel chapter two, verse six, when Hannah is praising God because he gave her a baby after wanting one for so long, she says that the Lord kills and the Lord brings life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. There's not death, there's not life, that is outside of the control and sovereignty of our creator, God. It may be initially disconcerting to know that you are fully dependent. It goes against everything that we are raised as, as Americans. But there's nothing more encouraging to know that the one that we are dependent on is the very one who controls everything for our good. Even our salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Notice Paul says, uh, talks about our inability to make ourselves good with God again. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Colossians 1 tells us how we received life it wasn't our doing. He says that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is all God's doing, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Romans 8, it shows us that God only could do what we could not do for ourselves. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his son in, his likeness, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And this highlights the seriousness of sin. Whereas you and I were created to live in joyful dependence on our creator, we are often much more happy to side with the serpent who promised us that we would be like God. So when Jesus said in John chapter 15, when he said to his disciples that I am the vine and you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. When we live in, uh, against what Jesus is saying here, it is rebelling against who we are as humans. To rebel against the idea that we are in him and we can do nothing apart from him is to live subhumanly. You apart are, are apart from what you were created for, but thanks to God, though, that when we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit is restoring our humanity. By God's grace through faith, we can live with joyful gratitude that all, that all we have and all that we are is from God. And when we do that, we begin to know part of what it means to be a human. Secondly, we should accept our limitations. Accept your limitations. 
So closely related to this idea of dependence is this ever frustrating reality of limitations. As creatures, we live under a limitless creator, and we're constantly striving to live without boundaries. Sometimes it's met with success, but more often than not, our striving to live without boundaries ends up in failure. And that is by design for our good. But again, in order to learn what it means to be truly human, we have to contrast ourselves against our great God who is absolutely limitless in his power and in his, his glory. And the scriptures are very clear, once again, that God is very, very different from you and I. God is not constrained by physical limitations. Uh, Jesus says to the woman at the well in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is spirit. He ends up saying later he, he works it out a little bit more and, and uh, brings the idea that spirit cannot have flesh and blood. It cannot have bones. It, it, it's a spirit. He has no body. He's not bound to one geographical location. Rather, he is in all places at all times. This is what theologians call omnipresent. He is present everywhere. And not only that, but since he is spirit, he does not have needs like we do. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need sleep. He, in fact, in, in Psalm 121, it tells us that our God does not slumber or sleep. Now, I don't know about you, but if I needed a bodyguard uh, to higher and to watch over me, I certainly would like one that could be up 24 hours a day without having to need any rest at all. That would be really helpful. And not only that, but he's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He is not limited in his knowledge and wisdom. Psalm 139 uh, teaches us that he knows when we wake up and when we go to sleep. He even knows what we're going to say before the words are on our lips. Elihu challenged Job in Job 37 when he said, Do you know, that, uh, know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous works of him who is perfect in knowledge? Can you imagine? Perfect in knowledge. And, and further, God is not lacking in his abilities when it comes to power. As creator, God is both sovereign and he's omnipotent. That is to say, he has both the might and the right to do as he wills. Isaiah wrote a rhetorical question in Isaiah 14 when he said, for the Lord, uh, whoops, he said, uh, do you know the balancing of the clouds, the wondrous work? No, oh, sorry, I'll go back here. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? King Nebuchadnezzar was a pagan king of Babylon, acknowledged God's sovereign power in Daniel 4.35. He does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Paul told the Ephesians that every single thing that happens, happens according to the counsel of his will. Psalm 115 probably says it the best, that our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. But 
in this sovereign omnipotence, God is always good. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul concludes a prayer with a doxology, which is a praise, when he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Think about that. Think about everything that Jesus was able to do as creator. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Multiply a meal. Boy, that would come in handy at Chick-fil-A, wouldn't it? Raise the dead. Turn water into wine. How can we not affirm with the Lord the words of Genesis chapter 18 when he said, is anything too hard for the Lord? And the answer is no. Is anything too hard for us? Absolutely it is. To come to grips with what it means to be truly human is that we must affirm and accept our limits. We are limited physically. We need to eat. We need to sleep. We, we, uh, we, need, uh, to, we need food to be sustained. We can't be at all places at all times. You get sick. Some of us get injured. We're all getting older. I'm as old as I've ever been, Dave likes to say. And it's only continuing in that. Within the, the course of events in my life in the last month and a half, I've had to come to grips with my limitations. Everything we have and have boundaries and limits that can be taken away at any minute. We're very limited in our knowledge. Many of our conflicts persist simply because we don't have all the facts. We don't know everything, but we assume we do. Our emotions are limited. Of course we feel things, but we can't feel them to the full extent that we need to or interpret them as we ought to. And sadly, we're extremely limited uh, in our ability to become who we were created to be. So limited, in fact, that we are completely unable. Our sin is both uh, in both uh, in its inheritance and our willful choosing has created a wedge between us and our God that is irreconcilable based on our own efforts. We can't be good enough. We can't abstain enough. Our sin has made us not just limited, but incapable of saving ourselves. Paul, in Ephesians chapter 2, uses the metaphor of being dead. We're dead in our sins and our trespasses. And dead people don't revive themselves. This limitation has affected our prayer life. Think of what James writes in James chapter 4 when he says, you do not have because you don't ask. That's one aspect of it. We don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The disciples knew this limitation very, very well. So they went up to their master in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, and they, they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And that should be our prayer to the Lord every day. 
We don't pray as we ought to. Lord, teach us to pray. Do you feel your limitations and your inabilities? Embrace them and flee to Christ. In Christ, we have the ultimate example of what it means to be human. In Christ, we, we see perfection in ha- how to handle our limitations. In his human nature, Jesus experienced the limitations of being a child. Kids, Jesus knows what it's like to be like you. Jesus knew what it was like to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be, to be tired, feeling pain, experiencing loss, and even death in his own body. In his human nature, he was limited in his mind and in his emotions, but unlike, uh, but unlike us, Jesus perfectly rested his limitations in God his Father and his limitless mercy and power And when we go to Jesus in our limits and in our inabilities, in faith, we are gradually being renewed day by day and becoming more like Christ. We are not created to be limitless. Do you ever think about the fact that Adam and Eve before the fall were still dependent on God? for food and air and relationship and everything that we need to be, who we are as humans? And we should too. So go to Christ to become more of who you were created to be. Genesis 1 tells us that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. You, I, am created. We have limits. We are dependent. The question is whether or not you are living toward your full humanity or if you are living as if you are the source of your power, you are the source of your destiny, and everything rests on you. Repent and turn from that sin and turn to Christ in whom and only in whom we can be restored into his likeness. Let's pray.